Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. So in my world, it's a day before the start of a semester, always an exciting time. Um, but after 18 months of doing my job in a pandemic, also a truly, truly exhausted time. And uh, when I try to deal with exhaustion and fatigue from all the things we're, we're all facing, um, at least on a work level, one of the things I try to do is focus on why I do what I do. Uh, there's been a couple of points in my career where I felt pretty burned out or felt like I'm not sure we were making a difference. Uh, and I've often had to return to this idea of why. Um, and in recent years, it's become pretty clear to me. Uh, it's become more of an affirmative choice. Um, and I thought I'd share a little bit about that today. Uh, I'm gonna share most of a, an article I wrote on LinkedIn a while ago uh, called Poverty Informed Practice. I choose to identify. There is this thing that happens to me so frequently, it cannot be a coincidence. There are lots of examples, but one of the earliest ones that I can remember was a board presentation several years ago. I had declared my own little poverty-informed movement within my sphere of influence, and I was surprised because it had grown beyond my area. The idea of being poverty-informed caught the attention of leadership where I worked at the time, and I was asked to give a presentation to our district board to make the case for poverty-informed work as part of a larger equity plan. Now, I'm a good presenter. Uh, if I ditch my Midwestern modesty, I'm really, really good when it's something personal like this. And my segment of the presentation went quite well, I thought. I made the case for basic needs support, creating a sense of welcome, and accelerating success. Nothing I proposed that day had more than a nominal cost. Actually, there really was no cost. It was mostly shifting mindsets. And when our team was done with our larger presentation, there was a call for questions. I had gone somewhere in the middle of the presentation and wasn't really expecting questions. But one, more, one of the board members said he did have a question about the poverty segment of the day. He then looked at me and said, so, if we dedicate resources to this group, will we be taking away from groups like veterans? I was caught off guard. I had not suggested any new resources go anywhere. But here I was being presented with a false choice between groups this person assumed excluded one another. I took a breath and answered that poverty reaches across many groups, including veterans, unfortunately. My inquisitor was not very satisfied with that answer, and when he pressed, I noted that my proposals actually didn't require funding, at least not yet. At this point, my college president stepped in and stopped the conversation and advocated for what I was proposing. I was grateful, but I have never forgotten. This dynamic of wondering if building systems for those who have been left out or left behind takes away from others is ubiquitous and it's rooted in this toxic notion of deservingness. Now, typically, it doesn't come up at kind of the caricature Facebook meme level of comparison I had in that board meeting, 
but it's always there. I get asked questions like if we will forget about high achieving students if we focus too much on the underserved. Even among people who in theory support the work I hear them say things like, not only do we support the students with bumps and bruises, but the valedictorians as well. Can you hear the bias? Can you hear the assumptions? Why are those groups exclusive? Who are they picturing when I talk about people in poverty? You know, after all these years, I'm sure it's not random, and I know it's not harmless. In fact, it's often people who consider themselves to be supportive and good people who express these sentiments. They often phrase it as, you know, don't forget about some other group. But at the end of the day, the implication is if we try to help people in poverty, some other more deserving group will lose out. Now, it's not lost on me that this is not just true of the poor. It's true of marginalized groups in general. People are very concerned about those who don't have resources getting too much or more than they deserve. So why does this happen over and over? I think it has to do with the inability to truly choose to identify with the marginalized population, to see yourself as the same. So many organizations and people want to talk about what they do for the poor, but I rarely hear them talk about what they do with the poor because they don't see themselves as the same. They still identify with the groups who will lose out if the other gets too much or more than they deserve. This is deeply rooted in our blame of individuals for their poverty. We need it to be their fault. We need them to have done something wrong or we have to face the fact it could just as easily be us given a small change in circumstance. If we start to identify as the same, we see the effect of whatever privilege we carry in the difference in outcomes. We see the systemic issues rather than personal failure. And when we see those things, we are working with, as part of our group, we will work to help in powerful and personal ways. Now I know quoting Dr. Martin Luther King is almost a cliche these days, but I love the phrase, I choose to identify with the underprivileged. I choose to identify with the poor. I love that he says it is a choice because it is, and the choice changes everything. There are lots of ways to describe making the choice to identify. I typically steal from my friends at Amarillo College and talk about loving the students we have. In fact, an explicit choice to love the students you have is one of the four tenets I teach in poverty-informed practice. Love in this case is a choice. And it takes courage to own it. This spring I was applying for a job, a big job, and I described my work in my materials as trying to change economic reality for people I love. I ran my application past a trusted ally and they felt like I should change that language because the people doing the hiring might not be comfortable with it or really understand. Now, perhaps they were right. Uh, I didn't get the job, but I didn't change the wording, and I won't if I choose to seek work in the future. I choose to identify with the people I serve, so I choose to love them openly. 
Anything less comes with a risk of putting them in the other category, and it is far too easy to marginalize someone who is other. Now, for those of you who share my Midwestern Scandinavian background and yet just can't get yourself to talk about love at work, it's okay. My challenge to you is to identify with the marginalized, with the left out. It will change what you do, whatever you call it. Choosing to identify with those who have been left out is probably not a fast-track career move. If you want to make your life easier, just do this. When the seemingly harmless questions making sure we don't exclude whoever is being used as the current straw man arise, you go ahead and act as if that objection is reasonable and we need to not forget anyone. You will be seen as reasonable and perhaps even wise. You can likely ride that reasonableness to a solid career where you do quite a lot of good. You can move the needle with the movable middle. But let me be very clear. When you choose to identify with the groups currently benefiting from the system, you only reinforce a system we know doesn't work for the poor and many other groups who have been left out. This isn't an accusation or some kind of manipulation. This is just true. As I said at the beginning, I see it over and over again in the most pernicious and insidious ways. It is almost always someone reasonable reminding me in soft language that they don't want to exclude the top students by focusing too much on the students who have my attention. Well, I choose to identify with the poor and I will continue to remind these reasonable people it is their assumption one group does not cross over with the other. I will remind them the future of our colleges and our communities, it's in bringing success to those who have been excluded. And I truly believe choosing to identify with the poor, with the underprivileged, is the path to success for our students, our colleges, and our communities.